Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. Yeah, hey. yeah. Have, have you been like this another week of lockdown? How another week? Doing? I don't know. Like, my life consists of kind of staying in and traveling to work and then coming back. Hmm. Like, it has done for about a year and a, a, maybe two years maybe three years well um i've been training for this my whole life my <laughs> teenage years were a constant battle to stay inside <laughs> so i'm not really I, i'm handling it okay like um my workers like reduced hours they're still open uh, and they're still working from home but yeah. they've reduced hours and pay um that's annoying. so yeah that's kind of a, a weight on the old mind but, yeah that um, is like it's but then you always have that thing of like, well, it's better than, you know, working in the service sector and like you just getting fucked, you know? Yeah. When you think about the jobs that you were in before this one, you would have been so fucked. Oh, I would have been done. Like, yeah, I would have been when done. you think like, um, what, like off licenses, bars and that knocking shop in Brighton, um, Figgy, um, Birmingham. It was technically, it was technically a hotel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was the, I was the night manager and it, yeah, it did seem a bit like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, it's uh, I don't know. It's how are you doing? Um, well, seeing as when we checked in last week with me, I had borne a floor length snake print kimono. I have now <laughs> started drawing again and bought tattoo needles. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you? I'm gonna come out of this looking like I've been in prison. You're <laughs> you taking the sins of society on your own body? Yep. Or I'm just, you know, I've just covered every up every like anime every billion every billion that's added to the deficit. You tattoo another rose on your arm for each <laughs> one of your bitches. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm gonna do. Um, but yeah, so that's what I've done. I got like um like a folder of um fate of like synthetic human skin, which is horrible, which I'm playing with and practicing on. So, so let's recap. Yeah. Right? You, your Amazon history or your online history consists yeah. of a silk kimono, a load of needles, and fake human skin. <laughs> yes. It's... Did you order this? Your Amazon username is Buffalo Bill. <laughs> it is very similar to that. Um, the guy who's a twi- it was on Twitter. Um, it was like his Amazon purchasing thing. It was like it was a pocket pussy, an eight foot l- lounging tiger. And a wig to make him look like Joe Exotic. <laughs> kind of like we that. all know it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens by the end. It's like so, but my wife and daughter have—they've um, started dyeing their own hair. I'm learning yep. to tattoo myself, so we're essentially have all just become 15-year-olds. <laughs> You've reverted. Oh Christ! I hadn't even thought about hair. Yeah. As a as a you you will not know this with your glorious golden waterfall mm-hmm. as a bald man mm-hmm. um my hair require you know male pattern baldness my my hair requires quite actually more attention than yours because otherwise it gets real fluffy at the sides and yeah, I look like Rusty the clown it looks amazing I um, love it. actually i, I think it looks more like a floating island in. with clouds around it oh that's very nice <laughs> yeah there's like an like an like an egg yeah. at the top of it, or a diglet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So what's been going on this week then? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But other than us, 
<laughs> slowly turning into a, a hairy diglet or covering yourself in stick and pokes. <laughs> What's actually been <laughs> happening in the world? Uh, more people are dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 I mean, I kind of stay away from news media, like an overconsumption of news media anyway. Yeah. Um, it, this, like we said last week, has really shown up how just how functional everything is when it's forced to work in any other direction other than just about getting away with making profit. Yeah. Like not even just like making profit, yeah. not in like a, a planned or managed way, like just about getting away. Like grifting, basically. We live in a grift economy. Yeah. Um and like there was one bit in particular, so uh, uh, it's become a huge um thing that the government's been questioned over. Boris Johnson was supposedly uh diagnosed as having coronavirus and sectioned himself off. Yeah. And miraculously healed after four days, and supposedly is out and about. I yeah. mean, I I have no doubt that this is something to like. At the very least, it's something to do with keeping him out of the, like directly interacting with the press. Yeah, because he's nothing if not a a coward. Well, yeah. Have you noticed that they've been putting um, up um, less and less important people to do be, as like sacrificial mm-hmm. lambs? Like originally, it was him every day, and. They, like it's never going to be go- him every day again. It'll go yesterday. Today was I can't remember who it was. Some no mark, but um yeah. yeah. So like he got it. Um the was it thingy witty got it. Um and they were both tested. Alan um Dominic Cummings was not tested, but is insistent that he had it and just ran away. Um I imagine he <laughs> he wasn't tested because you know he won't let anyone take his precious fluids. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I assume, like Boris suddenly recovering from coronavirus, like uh, is just kind of a three days, and then he was better, you know, willing his way through it. Yeah. This weird, weird Churchill analogy that no, like, or what people imagine is a Churchill analogy that no one gets, mm-hmm. other than on a very instinctual level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's very odd. Uh, mainly, I've just been, I've just been bowled over by, again, we've mentioned this a thousand times. But the absolute inability of the press to to get a handle on it and actually ask cogent questions that might help. Well, it's weird. Like the Mail um, is being more critical than the BBC now. Yeah, because they've got the freedom to. Yeah, they're actually. I was specifically thinking when you said Gove. Um, um, yeah, Robert Peston tweeted about uh, Michael Gove briefing yesterday that um, oh they couldn't produce enough uh, COVID nineteen tests. Yeah. because they don't have. Um, They've right got a shortage chemical. of chemical. Yeah, uh, it's a uh, chemical reagents, right? Yeah, they and don't have enough titanium. Yeah, and he was like, um, "Oh, I've just talked to the Chemical Industries Association, and it's like there seems to be this." And his basic tone is, "There's this huge mystery as to Michael Gove said one thing, and the Chemical Industries Association said another, and all the relevant <laughs> scientific authorities said another." It's like it's because he was lying. Yeah, it's because he doesn't know. They've promised like various different numbers of tests. Like the press hooks onto various things, various numbers as, yeah. like, because they want that um, uh, Paxo moment of saying, "Is it not this number?" Yeah, and getting them on record to say this number. That's that's it. That's literally it. That's all the press really want to to, to gain. They want that Paxo moment because, mm-hmm. I mean, presumably it has some kind of professional uh, uh, kudos that will 
end up with you getting a better gig after the con- the crisis is over. Yeah. But it does absolutely fucking nothing yeah. to actually like properly interrogate how they've handled this. No, not know? at all. Yeah, it's it's. Oh, I'm finding it. The press like the, bef- like after the election, we thought that they'd reached their peak of this mm. kind of you know that. Their goldfish memories, their obvious like pro government bias, or mm. pro authority bias, um, but then this happens and it's like, oh wait, you hold my pint, I'm going in harder. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm assuming. I mean, I think they probably, if they thought at all, they thought that things would quieten down because it was a resounding electoral victory. Yeah. Um, They were planning to take everything in-house, all the Brexit stuff. It wouldn't be in public. It wouldn't be in Parliament. I think they probably had an inkling and that they would be able to establish some kind of new rhythm that would keep 24-hour news going without actually... imposing too many demands on them to to try and actually find stuff out and report mm. it properly but no i mean you could never have predicted this that you would actually need a hell of a lot more intense scrutiny on on what was happening to mm. to actually to actually get that it, it seems combined with this this feeling that the the state is just waiting to have something to pull out of its hat like yeah. it's got this huge amount of spare industrial like even like like left wingers who um, talk about like the Thatcher years, mm. I, I think some of them um, kind of end up assuming that there's a load of spare industrial ca- um, capacity mm. and a, a spare load of capital that the government kind of keep behind. Yeah. And I don't know, they they might have been right at certain points in the last forty years that. Obviously, like Thatcher's lesson about neoliberalism was that you shrink down the state, but you where you pretend to shrink down the state but actually you concentrate its capacity in certain areas so like intelligence services and and police and and things like that while withdrawing from things like yeah industrial strategy and all that kind of thing Mm. but i think there's still this kind of weird notion that there's a load of spare economic capacity that can be just organized on a whim and the thing about neoliberalism is that what it's done probably since austerity and probably before is that they've actually scrambled the organization of the British economy so much and put in so many um, perverse incentives to keep it as dysfunctional as it is that they actually can't mobilize that capacity, even if it did exist, even if there there was an ability to like up production of a particular thing, like in a, like a war economy sense, it's not there. There's yeah. no ability for them to organise it, even if it were there. Yeah, it's like understandable. Like there's this hope that the hmm. British state is about to like actually, it's got this in its back pocket and goes ultra instinct, but in reality, it's just Yamcha. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's a fair. It's just got it, it, it's pa- yeah, its power levels have just have been have been drained. Everyone's given everything to the spirit bomb, which mm. was austerity. <laughs> Um, which was the, it was the bailout, actually. That was the spirit bomb. Everybody gave everything. <laughs> um, whereas actually, like, yeah, I think it might... Pro- it was probably Cameron, I think, who who actually fully finished off the hollowing out of, of that kind of thing. Because, like, public services are and, and councils and local authorities and things are potentially a way of organising you wanting to do anything. The yeah. state works through those things. But, of course, for political reasons, they had to both fuck them over and make them the uh, make them powerless, fuck them over, and make them the target of like angry populaces that they're 
services were getting cut. So of course you've fucking hollowed that out as well. Yeah. It's um, it's just it's it's really startling. One of the things that is figures because I think it is needed for like the government needs to be shouted at a lot. Um they're gonna need to be for the next for for the foreseeable future because, you know, it's yeah. horrible. Um kind of heartwarming. They're starting to turn on them on LBC. And not in a, yeah. why won't they just get Brexit done, in a, they are obviously lying way. Yeah. Um, like, there's been some pushing the, you know, China lied, it's all China's fault, um, and stuff like that. But though there's quite a lot, it seems, it seems like the attitude's changing. Like, the BBC and ITV will be, like, last to change. Those kind of journalists are always the last. Yeah. But um, people seem really angry, and rightly so. Um <sighs> And I don't, and I don't think the anger has quite reached any kind of thing. I mean, I don't think we have the kind of, we don't have the population. Um, uh, I don't think we have the level of like popular mobilisation that could get a load of people out on the streets. No, not at all. In the same way as the poll tax. No, right. It's not the same. Right. Yeah. It's not quite the same. I mean, the closest you ever get to it was, and I think it was probably the last. I'm thinking, yeah, it probably was the last shock to like bourgeois society was probably the London riots in 2011. Yeah, that was the last time when you had that general sense that actually this is not something that they could control. Mm. This was not something that they could simply, oh, send it. Like, that, admittedly, the army was never sent in. Yeah. So you never. That's their last. Their last ditch. I've seen today Alistair Campbell already lauding like the army for putting up that. Um, putting up that hospital in two weeks at yeah. the Nightingale Hospital in the Excel Centre. Yeah, like, some, something that? that something that, like, a kind of thing that they would get furious at if it was on, like, Chinese state media. Yeah. You well, know, the thing is with that as well, like, like I was it's talking still to, the same thing. I was talking to a friend of ours last night, and um, hmm. it's like, yeah, it's, in, it's in, you know, it's impressive. It, like, large-scale things like that are always kind of impressive. The Excel oh, yeah. Centre is literally, this is the only design concept of the Excel Centre to be quickly turned into multiple cubicles. That's <laughs> yeah. the whole point of it existing. It has been, it costs a lot of money for it to be able to do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like Comic Con does it, <laughs> the Japan Convention it... does it. <laughs> so Why does the arms industry. In particular, <laughs> yeah. so does the arms industry seemingly every fucking week. Every time I've been up there, yeah. there's been people uh, protesting against the arms convention. Yeah. Um, it's really odd. Like you can see, you can see various kind of um, attempts to kind of find the scapegoat that's going to take the blame at the end of this. In the yeah. same way that, like, the inner cities took the blame for, uh, you know, m- largely multicultural cities took the blame for the London riots. Yeah, rowdy teens. Um, you can you can already see the way that um, this is breaking down. That. You know, they're going to try and blame China. They're going to try and blame, again, those same multicultural cities. Mm-hmm. They're going to do that thing of, like, that thing that the, the British culture does very well of splitting people into good ones and bad ones. Yeah, definitely. The deserving and the non-deserving. But, like, there's a whole load of shit that's come out of this that, like, Wales... I, I didn't realise, like, Wales has, like, 300 critical care beds. Yeah. 300. Mm-hmm. 300 for a population of 3 million. Yep. That's, like... How how can you honestly not kind of report that? How could they're just kind of reporting it like, oh, there's only they're 
coronavirus patients are occupying like 25% of yeah Wales is 300 or or Greater Manchester's I think it was Greater Manchester was like 800 or something or 400 mm. and it's like what yeah. 400 yeah how the fact that that doesn't kind of um produce some kind of change in consciousness is I, I suppose testament to the ability of the British press to make these things seem like they don't matter mm. You know that these are that, that these are just like details. They're just statistics. They have no no blood and sinew to them, and they now, at least, seem to have a lot of blood and sinew in them and on them. Yeah, you know? there's um an interesting comparison with the London riots because it's, mm. it's like when the London riots is happening. Remember, you know, all the people, all the um, a lot of people were like, you know, calling the army, blah blah blah, um, yeah. and doing all that shit. And those same people are now. Like, this is, like, hearing a lot of this on LBC, furious at the police. Like, it's amazing that they just told the police to, like, stop people for doing unessential shopping, but didn't give them a defining list. Like, it took them a couple of days to do that when it turned out that they were stopping people for having Sainsbury's bags when there's a Morrison's nearer or telling them off for having Easter eggs. Yeah, one of the things was they were... The police are always going to do this shit. Told them to take down Easter eggs. Yeah. The war on Easter. What the fuck? <laughs> I know it's that. I know it's that had <laughs> slipped into Animal Crossing as well because it's Buddy Day. Oh my God! Animal Crossing's <laughs> war on Christianity. I'm afraid to tell you, Hugh. Uh, we have a vaccine, but the vaccine is halal, so you won't be able to have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's um. I could yeah, I could see Spike saying something. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I find it odd that like. This, this change in consciousness hasn't quite happened considering that the sheer amount of post-apocalyptic stuff there is in Western culture over the last 20 years. I yeah. mean, God, there's been enough fucking books and articles yeah. and, and general thinkings about the phenomenon of a civili- like a civilization a that, you know, on, on, its, on its surface, a civilization that, like, is the most powerful, the richest civilization that has ever been on the planet that has hegemonized absolutely everywhere with maybe a couple of holdouts Mm. and its obsession with its own demise Mm. but i think it's something that keys in with what something we said last week which was the inability of uh like for instance landlords capital like capital in general the ruling class in general to really take stock and be able to do something different like the government issuing um, advice to landlords, their official advice to landlords mm. when dealing with their tenants during the coronavirus epidemic is to show compassion. <laughs> Fuck. That is the official guideline. <laughs> and that sense of what priorities, the fact that you can't get out of this idea that landlords and capital owners are completely supreme, their needs and priorities outweigh literally anything else mm. is an odd thing because obviously it means that post-apocalypticism if you want to call it that has kind of remained in the cultural sphere and not crossed over into like the economic or, or social sphere they genuinely don't think anything can end yeah that's why they haven't had any preparation that's why they're not really gearing up now because down to their dna they think that the era of of cheap labor and of like lack of regulation and of you know like capital flows everywhere mm. would never end 
Mm. It's it's not even a future. It was just an eternal present. Mm. And post-apocalypticism never leaked into that. It was entirely resigned to the cultural, the cultural realm. Yeah. And it's abs- It's it's really incredible looking at a, an entire system get paralyzed, get confronted with the obviousness of what is happening, and just be absolutely not able to deal with it. Mm. Okay, so this week we're going to be talking about. Um, a man called David Myatt and the Ord- oh. and the Order of the Nine Angles, which are um, they're a left hand path satanic group. Um, if for those not in the know, um, magic has <laughs> there a- must be so few of those. <laughs> There's a left hand path and a right hand path. It's quite um, like magic people see it as quite reductive. The you know right hand path is essentially nice magic. Left hand path is Malicious magic, whereas a lot of it's within the kind of occult circle, within kind of occultism that grew up in like the sixties, right? Yeah. Whereas a lot of people now see it as like it doesn't really matter; it matters about your intentions and all that kind of shit. But um, anyway, they but these neo pagan traditionalism, that kind of thing, yeah. But these people see it as very much they're a left hand path satanic group. They literally call themselves evil. (laughs) Like (laughs) they say it so many times, it's 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 kind of great. I'm gonna explain to you a bit about them and um, David Meyer. Um, and their interaction with the world now. Because, like, in, in general, these occult groups, you don't really interact with them. You don't have to. Because they're such tiny members, and they're usually, like, at the moment, just online. <laughs> um, they're weird. It's because they're mostly, like... Um, there's, a, there's a lot of that, like, Church of Satan is probably the biggest. But yeah. um, a lot of those Temple kind of, of well. occult, occult group are schools who've, who've kind of gone from the like it, like era of yeah neo paganism and, and Wicca and all that in the sixties and have survived till today right mm-hmm. but um yeah there's like loads of there's I think I think like the order of the Metic, the hermetic order of the golden dawn is still around ish um yeah that was the Crowley yeah organization, that's the Crowley wasn't one. It? yeah but um okay so there's a nice quote here about David Myatt. He does not have the appearance of a Nazi ideologue, sporting a long ginger beard, barber jacket, cords and a tweed flat cap. He resembles an eccentric country gentleman out for a Sunday ramble. But Myatt is anything but the country squire, for beneath his seemingly innocuous exterior is a man of extreme and calculated hatred. Over the past ten years, Myatt has emerged as the most ideologically driven Nazi in Britain, preaching race war and terrorism. Myatt is believed to have been behind a 15-page documentary called for race war under the imprint White Walls. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. The not names of things, not the uh, <laughs> vampire, the masquerade. Maybe no. it is the vampire, the masquerade people. <laughs> but um, so Maya, he grew up in Tanganyika. Um, so now was that Tanzania? Um, yeah, Tanzania. His father worked civil. He was like born in the early fifties. His father worked Empire civil. Child, then. Yeah, father worked as a civil servant for the British government, and then later in the Far East, where he studied martial arts. He moved to England in '67 <laughs> yep. to complete his schooling. And has said that he began a degree in physics but didn't complete it, leaving to focus on his political activism. Reported to live in the Midlands and has been married three times. According to um, Jeffrey Kaplan, Myatt has undertaken a global odyssey which took him on extended stays in the Middle East and East Asia, accompanied by studies of religions ranging from Christianity to Islam in the Western tradition and Taoism and Buddhism in the Eastern path. In the course of his Siddhartha-like search for truth, Myatt sampled the life of a mon- of the monastery in both its Christian and Buddhist forms. He did live as a monk for a while. He's an interesting <laughs> he guy. Did, uh, 
In 68, Myatt joined Colin Jordan's Britain, British movement, which was a neo-Nazi group. Um, he sometimes worked as Jordan's bodyguard at meetings and rallies. Myatt would later become the Leeds branch secretary and a member of the British movement's National Council. In 1970, he became the leader of the National Socialist Movement um, and the founder and the first leader of the National Socialist Movement. Um, of which David Copeland was a member. David Copeland, you might remember, was the London nail bomber. Oh, yes, yeah, so a bomb the Admiral Duncan, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. He co-founded the National Democratic Freedom Movement around this time, which was referred to by Peter Tyndall as a bunch of thugs. Peter Tyndall was, you know, <laughs> National Front BNP guy. Um, he my, was a yeah, League of Empire loyalist after, yeah. after Mosley, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, Myatt later admitted that they mainly liberated property and fenced it. <laughs> <laughs> um, around the 1980s Myatt tried to establish a Nazi occultist commune in Shropshire although Myatt denies this allegation That'd claiming that his it. aim was to establish an agrarian community solely based on the Nazi principles of blood and soil <laughs> um, um, okay. Goodrick Clark wrote that after marrying and settling in Church Stretton in Shropshire Myatt attempted in 1983 to set up a rural commune within the framework of Colin Jordan's vanguard project for neo-Nazi utopias, publicised in the Gothic Ripples newsletter. The Gothic what? Ripples. The Gothic... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the only thing I ever remember about um, David Meyer, other than various, other various uh, aspects of his career, he tried to um, found this cultural organisation called Reichsfolk. Yeah. Um, and it, it always fascinates me with neo-Nazis, especially like British and um, American ones. American ones maybe a bit less so. Yeah. English ones who are like, ah, yes, the sacred and spiritual soil of Britain and the DNA and blut of its <laughs> Volk. Yes. Uh, the, the, the common culture we share, the, the common language that's spread throughout the world because it's better a priori better for some reason mm -hmm. and then they call all their stuff like reichsfolk yep <laughs> like all and of they use German that font names. and they use that font as well yeah yeah it's like that's what yep. <laughs> you not only not this isn't like a little englander thing this is like a you actually believe this stuff mm -hmm. you actually believe that there is something magic about this field <laughs> and yeah. you are then going to assign a different culture to it i don't know you they could be pan-europeans i guess but uh, they don't seem to be just <laughs> such an such an odd thing yeah yeah um yeah from the 70s until the 90s he remained deeply involved with paramilitary and neo-nazi organizations such as combat 18 and there was another one something 88 but um combat 18 he became the leader of in 98 and then immediately converted to islam for eight years <laughs> um, while he was a, while Classic. he was a Muslim, he wrote some of the most um, outspoken defences of suicide bombing and Osama bin Laden in the English language. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yes. Have we got in touch with Spiked Magazine about this guy? Because he seems well up for that kind of contrarian, uh, really. Because, like, he, yeah, I, I knew he'd converted to um, radical jihadism. Yeah. And he seems like a perfect fit. Him mm -hmm. and Brendan O'Neill going to the spectator dinner parties, and Oof. it'd be great. Um, I think his outspoken hatred of Jews is so bad that he wouldn't even be able to hang around Tacky. Yeah, I, I think like his his conversion to Islam 
it's definitely the sign of someone in that kind of living Marxism mold who looks for where the next thing, like his his targets well, are kind of, are, are ultimately like material materialism itself. Yeah, yeah he hates. Uh, a belief in material objects and, you know, um, liberal democratic society as yeah. he sees it. And Jews, society. and mainly Jews. He has a real and, issue with Jews. Uh, he's like, Jews he's like a proper an, old an, school a, Nazi in the old school way. Yeah, in a in a racist way to a lot of neo Nazis um, and Nazis, uh, Jewish people um, exemplify that kind of thing mm. because they they see that they take on the tropes that they give them. You um, mean the Mag- Magian Nazarene? They come up later. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there was a lot of people who thought that his conversion to Islam was fake um, and just like a way <laughs> of getting more power. But it's like when you look into it, it's like it, it seems. And like I think by the end everyone's like, actually no, no, he does genuinely believe this shit. Like the really like the full on radical jihadism stuff. He fully does. Um did. Fascists should never fascists should never be taken at their word. There um, is that. They they I mean, even that don't think uh embody a certain ideology that, that power is everything mm-hmm. and that uh rational argumentation is at best useless yeah. and at worst actively dangerous to a human being mm. um so i'm gonna give him that one yeah. uh he he became a jihadist in like 1998 all the way through um Until for like 20. 10 years yeah. and you know that's not exactly um plus you know on all of his old fash mates yeah well um he didn't really turn on all of his old fash mates when he became a radical jihadist because there's lots of implication that he still was very much part of the order of the nine angles while this was going on um so ah. you know it's like i think he's very much like like a lot of western spiritual people he's like takes what he likes <laughs> yeah i could give a hate new cheers for your internet assembled theology <laughs> exactly david Myatt. <laughs> <laughs> okay so now on to another guy anton long and talk about anton long and the order of the nine angles specifically Okay. So whilst this is happening, in 1973, a man named Anton Long was initiated into the Order of the Nine Angles, a group said to have been the descendant of pre-Christian pagan traditions which survived the Christianisation of Britain and which were passed down from the Middle Ages onward in small groups or temples based in the Welsh marches, which were each led by a Grand Master or Grand Mistress. According to the Order, in the late 1960s, a Grand Mistress of one such group united three of these temples, Camlad, the Temple of the Sun, and the Noctulians to form the Order of the Nine Angles before welcoming outsiders into the tradition. Okay, important bit for people who aren't in the know of the occult. Um, there's a good chance, because, you know, like like with Nazis, um, that this is all bollocks, and it's 100% bollocks, and chances are it was just founded by this Anton Long guy in 1973. I mean, yeah, it makes perfect sense. There's every like a load of occult groups... Um kind of being founded in the wake of a turn away from traditional religion mm-hmm. um and f- yeah found like looking for other things and, and trying to assemble their own religions largely but of course yeah you can't just it happened it happened again with the in the victorian period when you had like the resurgence of druid yeah all that um shit. like people like people trying to found orders of druids mm-hmm. and it was like it's very noticeable that it was mostly landowners yeah and mostly kind of wealthy people, hmm. uh, Victorian capitalists and landowners and things like that, trying to 
I presume there's some kind of psychological thing where they've conquered everything else, so they have to conquer the spirit world as well. Mm, maybe. Um, they have to put pre-mastery of it, because obviously also a lot of it is um, libertarian and libertine in that particular way that ends up with power dynamics centred around uh, middle-aged, white, rich men. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, mm. this Anton Long... Um, who he described himself as a British citizen who had spent much of his youth visiting Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. Long claimed that prior to his involvement with the order, he had been interested in occultism for several years, having contacted a coven based in the Fens, and in '68 moving to London and joining groups that practiced ceremonial magic, like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. That's the Crowley one. And also a brief yeah. involvement with a satanic group called the Orthodox Temple of the Prince. Now, it's a, it's a real shame when local areas um, bec- like lose their uh, occult resources to London. <laughs> lose their covers. London has enough. Yeah, L- London has enough kind of resources given to it anyway, uh, like occult resources given to it anyway yeah. by you know the government practicing black magic and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> child sex abuse and you know stuff like that. It's uh, the powers that they have there. Let them stay in their own. Uh, uh, <laughs> areas and let's stop this brain drain you want to localize you want to increase localization of covens what i'm saying is that uh we need more occult towns okay yeah that makes sense um so yeah anton long it's it's obviously a pseudonym but it's pretty much it's david meyer and maybe a couple of other people like there's some bits where the writing where the writing style changes but it seems very much like it's david meyer um when the Order's Grand Mistress migrated to Australia, as you do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Long took over as the group's new Grand Master, and the group claimed that Long implemented the next stage of the ready for it sinister strategy to make the teachings. Well, is that the actual? Wait, wait, wait! Is that, that the actual name? Yeah, that is. They use the word sinister a lot. You'll they, hear it more. They um, call it okay <laughs> to make the teachings known on a larger scale. From the late seventies onwards, Long encouraged the establishment of new groups which were known as temples, and from 76 onward he authored an array of texts on the tradition, codifying and extending its teachings, mythos, and structure. There are so many. There are so fucking many. (laughs) Um, The texts are normally written in English, but also in classical Greek, Sanskrit, Arabic. He could speak a lot of languages. Um, It's a shame how the the zine scene has kind of collapsed, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, After examining these texts, Nicholas Goodrick Clark stated that in them Long evokes a world of witches, outlaw peasant sorcerers, orgies of orgies and blood sacrifices at lonely cottages in the woods and valleys of Shropshire and Herefordshire, where he has lived since the early 80s. Which sounds kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, it's like... That bit okay. sounds kind of cool. That's a it's very d d Aesthetically, if not politically. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds yeah. interesting. Um, the... Order arose to public attention in the early 80s. Um, during the 80s and 90s, it spread its message through a lot of magazines. There was like one called Knox, um, and then they and they also released a bunch of books, including their main book, The Black Book of Satan. Um, and they <laughs> yep. get the get the get the big claims out of the way in the title. That's yep. what we always say. That's what we always say. <laughs> Put it up front. There's no point hiding it. Because you don't sell any books if you don't make your intentions clear. <laughs> um, in 88, it began publication of its own in-house journal titled Fenrir. After, in-house? Yeah. In, in a house, presumably. <laughs> After the wolf that, you know, eats Odin at the end of the world. 
Oh, um, of course, yeah. Um, it's um, really sad because a lot of these names are a lot of these names are like you know like these majestic like cool uh, cool names and and concepts and it. things and stuff that we've been uh, like associated with, but like liking black metal and things yeah. like that. That they're used everywhere and they're kind of burnt out at this point. Yeah. Like, I mean, I imagine if you were just like a normal like Shropshire person, mm. like a, a farmer or whatever. Um, you might in the seventies, you might see that and go, "Oh, that's a bit sinister." Now yeah. it's just like, is that a gastro pub? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> among written material that has been publicly issued has been philosophical tracts, ritual instruction, letters, poetry, and gothic fiction. Its core book is the Black Book of Satan, um, and it's also issued its own music, its own painted tarot set known as the Sinister Tarot, which I have tried to acquire oh, and have. It's hideous. It's hideous. I've been banned from trying to get it anymore. Um, and a three-dimensional board game known as the Star Game, which I kind of nice. also want that. Um, yeah. They establish links with other neo-Nazi Satanist groups, um, f- like mainly through this New Zealand distributor, um, who is a founder of a thing called the Black Order. Um, <laughs> a lot of orders here. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Um, apparently it has access to a private library of occult and far-right material owned by the Order of the Jarls of Boulder. Um, Jarls, oh, like Jarls, yeah. like Earls, and then Boulder yeah. is in, like, the Viking yeah. god, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the group have associates and groups in the States, Europe, Brazil, Egypt, Australia, and Russia. Um, mm-hmm. One of these is a group in America called the Temple of Blood. Of is O-V. <laughs> um, that's how you know <laughs> nice. it's sinister. <laughs> I, I don't really very want to teenage keep metal nice. band name. <laughs> I don't want to keep saying nice, but this appeals to a very particular like about a Nazi group. But this appeals to a very particular sixteen-year-old part of my brain. <laughs> I know. Um, um, the Temple of Blood published a number of texts through Exaxar Press, um, and then there's the California-based White Star Exception, which has been designated as their flagship Nexion in the states. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Fancy. Bro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Then into the 90s, they entered their second stage, which involved dialing back on recruitment and refining their beliefs, which meant a lot of people thought that they were done completely. And then they burst back onto the scene in 2000 with the internet. They start using the internet as a way to to talk to other people and distribute their writings some more. Um, In 2008, they announced it was entering their third phase in their history, um, which would once again focus heavily on promotion using social media and blogs, forums, Facebook, YouTube to spread their message. Um, in 2011, a lot of the old... a revolution, I'll build a website. <laughs> um, in 2011, the old guard who had been in the order for a long time stated that they were going to be stepping back from the public, public work and long announced in 2012 that he would be withdrawing from public activity, although he appears to still be actually kind of active. Whether this is still Maya or someone else, it's up for debate. Um, Myatt seems to now have had a change, like a change in his belief system, and believes in a lot of like quite. It seems like he's done a lot of the hippie thing, and now he's like he's gone from actually being like a super right wing, monstrous, monstrous piece of shit, to now talking um, bollocks about stuff, other stuff. <laughs> like he I mean, seems he, to have got bored of it, or he's just pretending. I mean, he, he's also like Myatt's must be nearly in his seventies by yeah, now, right? Yeah, he's old as fuck. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's like where they're up to now. So, but yeah. you need to. I'm going to explain to you some of their beliefs beyond, you know, cool names <laughs> that appeal yeah. to a 16-year-old writing notes on a writing on his notebook. Um, <laughs> so, okay, the order has this idea that 
Um, Satanism as an arduous individual achievement of self-mastery and Nietzschean self-overcoming, with an emphasis right, on individual okay. growth through, through practical acts of risk, prowess, and endurance. The goal of Satanism, of the Satanism of the Order of the Nine Angles, is to create a new individual through direct experience, practice, and self-development. Um, it's highly individual, based on the initiate's own practical and real-life acts, instead of merely performing ceremonial rituals. Therefore, they assert that it re Satanism requires venturing into the realm of the forbidden and illegal in order to shake the practitioner loose of cultural and political conditioning. Intentionally right. transgressive, the order has been characterised as providing an aggressive and elitist spirituality. Yeah, um, yeah, that that was that was a thing of of Satanism for a long while, wasn't it? it but no, this is like veered, it veered between elitism and yeah, libertarianism. Mm, but um, like yeah. Goodrick Clark said that long rejects the quasi-religious organization and ceremonial antics of the Church of Satan and the Temple of Set and other groups. He believes that traditional Satanism goes far beyond the gratification of the pleasure principle and involves the arduous achievement of self-mastery, self-overcoming in a Nietzschean sense, and ultimately cos cosmic wisdom. His conception yeah. of Satanism is practical, and an emphasis on individual growth into realms of darkness and danger through practical acts of prowess, endurance, and the risk of life. Now, there's like a load of other stuff about things like black pilgrimages and shit that like really root it in blood and soil Nazi stuff. There's also stuff about um, the A-causal realm, their magic with a K, Dark Gods, the Sevenfold Way, and it's it's a lot though. Um, I'll cover a little bit of the stuff that is actually important to you now. If anyone is interested in me doing a pod episode entirely on the, the specific magical beliefs of them, I'm up for that. It's weird um, and kind of <laughs> bollocks because you know it would be. Um, but the stuff that that you know matters to us and is kind of funny on the so quickly funny. Um, they state that cosmic evolution is guided by sinister dialectics or alternating aeonic Ooh. energies, divides history into a series of eons, believing that each was dominated by a human civilization that emerged, evolved, and then died. It states that each eon lasts for approximately 2,000 years, with its respective dominating human civilization developing within the latter 1,500 years. It holds that after 800 years of growth, each civilization faces problems resulting in a time of troubles that lasts between 398 and 400 years. Very specific. In each colored civilization's final stage is a period that lasts for approximately 390 years in which it's controlled by a strong military and imperial regime, after which the civilization falls. They claim that humanity has lived through five of these eons, each with an associated civilization, like um, Primal, Hyperborean, Sumerian, Hellenic, and now Western. <clears throat> Ah, yes. It's it's so weird how that maps exactly onto a kind of pop history of Western civilization, doesn't it? Really it really is. It's so strange how it just happens to be 2,000 years, that this stuff just happens to happen around the turn of the millennium in the way that Westerners measure their, their like, chronology. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird that a general feeling of apocalypse and of decline since the end of European imperialism just happens to be an ironclad law not just of the earth but of the entire universe it's so strange that it's like the evolutionary psycho it's like the uh, evolutionary psychology thing where it's like oh no like uh yeah it's it's uh, actually genetic it's a uh, dna that women have to be this uh, this certain way yep exactly the way that a pop like pop culturally you would think that women were in the 50s <laughs> so odd how just everything lines up like that <laughs> um 
Um, so they go on to claim that current Western civilization has a Faustian ethos and that it has recently undergone its time of troubles, with its final stage an imperium of militaristic governance due to commence at some point in 1990 to 2011 and last until 2390. This will be followed by a period of chaos, which will be est- which will be established um, from which will be established a sickfion, the eon of fire, which will be represented by the galactic <laughs> civilization in which an Aryan society shall colonize the Milky Way. <laughs> so yeah, they go off. That, they go okay. off. Um, um, the order holds that unlike previous civilizations, the Western has been infected with the Magian Nazarene distortion, which they associate uh, with Judeo-Christian religion. The group's writings right, state that okay. while Western civilization has been as what had once been a pioneering entity imbued with the elitist values, exalting the way of the warrior, under the impact of the Magian Nazarene ethos, it has become essentially neurotic, inward-looking, and obsessed, embracing humanism, capitalism, and communism, as well as the sham of democracy and the dogma of racial equality. My column for spiked. Um, they yeah, believe yeah. that these Magarines Nazarene forces represent a counter-revolutionary trend which threatened to prevent the emergence of the Western Imperium and thus the evolution of humanity, opining that this cosmic enemy must be overcome through the force of will. By this, so what? they 100% mean Jews. They literally, like, they just mean Jews. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that classic neo-Nazi thing of, they talk, like the pagan ones especially, they talk about Judeo-Christianity, yeah. they mean Judaism. Yeah. I, what, what I want to know is... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, like, uh, Ma- Magian Nazarene yeah. uh, is a counter a counter revolutionary and counter evolutionary yeah. force that stops this supposedly natural thing that's divined in the heavens that yeah. absolutely cannot be stopped. Is I an ironclad? Well, it's one cycle of history. It's once again that Nazi except thing of like for, the Jews are all powerful but also weak. Yeah, except it's like this is absolutely ironclad. No one can stop it. Yeah. Oh, except they're stopping it. Mm-hmm. And also, like, so what? So what if it does? Yeah. Like, well, then we won't be able to go to our Aryan Empire in the skies. <laughs> yeah, it gets what, a bit. It gets, it, a bit di- what, what, it gets a bit. It gets a bit dynamics. Yeah. Um, there's okay. I've got <laughs> to, to show you some of their Nazi stuff. Some of their more overt Nazi stuff. Um, because that's pretty fash, all that stuff. Um, but here's an, a, an example of their massive heresy. Adolf Hitler was sent by our gods to guide us to greatness. We believe in the inequality of races and in the right of the Aryan to live, according to the laws of the folk. We acknowledge that the story of the Jewish Holocaust is a lie to keep our race in chains and express our desire to see the truth revealed. We believe in justice for our oppressed comrades and seek an end to the, world, end to the worldwide persecution of national socialists. Now, this is... A verse, a version of this is changed in an Australian, an Australian group called the Temple of Them, where they replace Hitler with Osama bin Laden. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. What's uh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what a weird way of putting it. Yeah. I suppose again, it's the it's the same Myatt thing in that if you're if you you're of that kind of mind, mm. you think that Osama bin Laden is this like vigorous i mean like like the national so like nazis did it as as well like they thought that islam was like as they approached it in the 30s the 20s and 30s was kind of more a moribund civilization mm. but that actually the early days was all good because muhammad was up there you know on yeah. a horse conquering everything or, or yeah. whatever like i mean obviously it's a completely ahistorical like it's largely a movie mm-hmm. it's not actual history 
but aside from anything yeah they they worship this kind of this action this um indefinable uh energy spirit of motion kind of thing it's yeah. a it's a purely like capitalist phenomenon yeah like that that in particular that that worship of action is is a is a capitalist thing because you see everything moving a lot faster you see flows of capital and flows of labor moving a lot faster around you it's a way of quantifying it cosmically rather than mm. just materially you know? mm. no the last bit of their beliefs that i want to get into before we um you know to, as explaining them is a bit that is again important like that bit is, is kind of funny and says a lot about their beliefs and how it's you know pretty much they're all the same like fashion yeah. groups like even if you add a black metal font to it um mm. but their views on human sacrifice now oh of course i was i was about to ask that <laughs> yeah um their writings condone and actively encourage it um referring to victims as opfers they outline that their view on human sacrifice in a number of documents, um, a gift for the prince, a guide to human sacrifice, culling, a guide to sacrifice, part two, victims, a sinister expose, and guidelines for the testing of opfers. What? It's like the names of these books. It's like, I, 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 I'm looking for a book. Oh, yeah, what book? Oh, I'm looking for culling, a guide to sacrifice, part two, please. <laughs> um, There's no way you're not getting on a list with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, according to their beliefs, the killer must allow their victim to self-select. You'll see that their definition of self-select is quite open. Um, <laughs> this is achieved through testing the victim to see if they expose perceived character faults. If this proves to be the case, the victim is believed to have shown that they are worthy of death and the sacrifice can commence. Those deemed ideal for sacrifice by the group include individuals perceived as being of low character, members of what they deem sham satanic groups like the Church of Satan and the Temple of Set, as well as zealous interfering Nazarenes and journalists, business figures, political activists who disrupt the group's operations. They explain sure, that yeah. because of the need for self-selection, children can never be a, a victim of sacrifice. Similarly, they despise animal sacrifice, maintaining that it's much better to sacrifice suitable mundanes given the abundance of human dross. Mundanes. Yeah. The mundanes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um the sacrifice is then carried out for either physical or magical means, at which point the killer is believed to absorb the power from the body and the spirit of the victim, thus entering a new level of sinister consciousness. As well as sinister strength... consciousness. I know. You really can't think of any better name I than know. that. I know. Um, as well as strengthening um, the character of the killer by heightening their connection with the acausal forces of death and destruction. Such sacrifices are also viewed as having a wider benefit because they remove from society individuals whom the group deems to be worthless. Um, it's noted that the there's none of their Nexion cells, which is what they call their little temples, publicly admitted yeah. to carrying out a sacrifice in a ritual manner, but that members had joined the police and military groups in order to engage in legal violence and killing. Yeah, sure. Um, they believe that there are historical precedents for all this sacrifice, um, citing prehistoric traditions like of when humans were sacrificed to a goddess named Baphomet or at the spring equinox or to the Arcturus star in the autumn. Baphomet? Yeah, I know. Do they specifically say Baphomet? Yep, they do. Baphomet, Baphomet being a corruption of Mahomet and yeah. it's what the Knights Templar were accused of worshipping mm -hmm. in what is largely widely considered to be an entirely made-up religion. Yep. Um, 
They have come under criticism from other groups like the Temple of Set, who deem human sacrifice <laughs> their willingness, their um, advocacy of human sacrifice to be detrimental to their own attempts to make Satanism more socially acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> I can see how it would be. It's very difficult on the old PR front to really try and smooth that one over. Yeah. God knows the Tories have tried. <laughs> um, so, in February 2019, this is where we get to the more important bit, because that's still horrible and like a mixture of horrible and funny. Um, in February 2019, several newspapers reported that they the Order of the Nine Angles was linked to a number of high-profile figures from the far right and to neo-Nazi groups such as the Atomwaffen Division, National Action Here, and the Sonnenkrieg Division Here. Um, in 2019, in the Times, they stated that a Times reporter went undercover on the gaming platform Discord to infiltrate an invitation-only Satanist neo-Nazi group called the Order of the Nine Angles. The group openly encouraged acts of terrorism and celebrated what was described as esoteric Hitlerism. In March 2020, um, the um, group Hope Not Hate began a campaign to have them banned. It's like Yvette Cooper's kind of leading it, I think. But um, yeah. there's a lot of stuff is pointing to um, a lot of senior members of National Action are members of the Order of the Nine Angles, which is like, it's like, I can understand why so much of this stuff is appealing to a neo-Nazi, like yeah. it, it's like it's all the ritual stuff and the secrecy and all that kind of stuff, with like with an added bit of flair. Um, yeah. But like national action, like we've always had fashion, the military, and the police. Yeah. Um, and even like secretly members of groups, but it seems that national action is more so. Like a lot, like there's a lot of um people, a lot of people who deal with neo-Nazi groups saying that it's actually it's worse than it's been in a long time. Um, yeah, yeah, and a lot of it does seem to be from this push from people who are like it feels like it's a good, you know, in the same way that you know, like militant jihadi groups try and recruit teenagers. Yes, yeah, and it seems like that for white pride, um, mm. and there's a lot of it with um, the the people they target to get to do human sacrifices, like to carry them out is they seem to specifically, like I've read in other things, of where they target people who are like, you know, on the fringes of society, mentally ill. There's implication that the guy who did, who um, killed Joe Cox was was um, encouraged by members of the Order of the Nine Angles and things like that. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and it's just, it's weird. It's weird that we live in a world where um, a group which, it's like so many, like with the satanic panic of the 1970s, so much of what the satanic panic was over was like freaking out because your daughter brought up home a set of tarot and a crystal. And yeah, yeah. it's weird to think that there was actually a group that is literally everything that the satanic panic said they were. Like it's it's a weird like, one. Yeah. Magically, like people in ma like occult circles think they're gibberish. It's all gibberish, and they're yeah. they're like them. They're all mad. Um, and that's probably you know like they're not like uh, occult people i know don't aren't like this obviously because i wouldn't yeah. hang around with fascists <laughs> um but it's like it's another way because you can see because with david myatt being fundamental to all of this like it's obviously a wing of recruiting yeah which is why i, I mean it, yeah yeah i mean the closest thing i can think of to kind of the nazi period is um it's like the society of fuel 
Mm. which was like a, that was an occult society based on uh, race science. It had kind of like Rudolf Hess. I think Himmler was a member, mm. Hans Frank, a lot of people who were, you know, um, in the Nazi hierarchy. Mm. Um, its paper, uh, its kind of newsletter became like the main Nazi paper, the Volkischer Biobachter. Biobachter. Um, and it's it's an odd one because yeah, on the surface, obviously, it's so it's so absolutely ridiculous and so fascist as well yeah. because it's not really based on any kind of looking at society, looking at real things, no. and generating an analysis from that bring into your uh, your particular society. It takes all of the kind of typical fascist, um, disc- like. Uh, arguably like because fascists are largely drawn from the kind of the dis- those disaffected with with bourgeois society it, yeah. it draws those out and gives them almost like a feudal um pattern to to sit on as a, as a reason why they don't seem to fit into bourgeois society yeah but it, it's it's pure idealism Mm. It's it's not at all based on anything like that. And like, yeah, at this stage of something, it seems very like largely harmless. I mean, obviously, they've they've been linked with with murders and, and things like that. But it's the way that these things, because they're not a lot of fascist groups struggle with the balance between theory and action in mm. the same way that like left wing groups do. Mm. Um because also their creed requires action as a, a a main thing. They distrust theory, but they they still need it for their for their racial science and that. Mm. But I think because these like occult societies, when they come along, because they are only supposed to deal with the theory, mm. they provide a backbone and a, a, like a trouble-free backbone to these fascist groups that allows a lot of them to link up and dump all of their thinky stuff. Mm into these nonsense groups, into these largely, like, uh, fantasy and sci-fi writing groups. Yeah. Um, and then they, they that's a way of, of justifying the things that they were going to do anyway. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's always been a very dangerous thing. And, they, and these fascist groups are always accompanied by them. Hmm. But yeah, it's, um, I, I just, there's some, it is, I've, it's weird because, I can't like they've got tied. There was an article in Quietus with yeah the Quietus yeah yeah I can't remember his name. Damn it! It's a neofolk. It's some neofolk musician. Um, Oh, um, I think I read that. It was um, Richard Malt. That's the one. Um, Yeah, who has ties? Who has ties to the Order of the Nine Angles? Um, Yeah, and it's it's. Like neofolk is like it's like fascism just runs through that. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a been a, there's thing. a lot of yeah a lot of that kind of stuff. I mean, like yeah, Sol Invictus and and Death in June mm. um, have always had that uh, associated with them. Partly as a result of their kind of um, oh, what's the word taboo breaking. Mm. Uh, partly as they're like taboo breaking um, artists. Mm. But also because of the nature of neo-folk lends itself to rediscovering a mythical time, a mythical pre-industrial, pre-capitalist time that still has relevance and power in the in the current period. Again, it's like it's looking for a larger meaning and and role for the individual beyond um, beyond just existing in in capitalist society. Yeah. Like what's what separates that 
longing from like a socialist longing to look ahead is that socialists tend tend to look try and look ahead and look at freeing individuals and collectivities from capitalism and empowering them in that way whereas fascists are looking back and looking at new or old ways of binding people the wrong people the mm. people they identify as enemies in further chains of of oppression mm. with them at the head yeah that's the the fundamental difference and again yeah the differences between idealism and materialism that this is all in this is all in the mind yeah it's all in their brain this isn't based on anything real yeah it's it's, it's just weird it is weird, genuinely weird to think of a a neo-Nazi occult group with members in the armed forces and the and the police. It's like Nazis, yeah, but like magic Nazis. It not only appeals, like entering the army or the police, because obviously, yeah, as they mentioned in their writings, it appeals to their need for physical violence as mm. some kind of test or a proving ground for, for themselves. Mm. But also, you know, prepares for the inevitable, you know, race war or yeah. revolution, and then they've got like, armed people ready to do it, and yeah, it's 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 odd that these are the ones. I mean, national action presumably are a, a bigger problem for infiltrating, like, the state's forces of coercion than this weird D and D group. Yeah, it's also. I mean, it's also yeah, perfect perfect fascism because it's making the political aesthetic. Yeah, one hundred. It's all it's all incredibly aesthetic. Like it. Mm. Look, again, don't want to say too much nice things about a Nazi group, but like the aesthetics of it are appealing to me as a 16-year-old. It looks like a fucking blast. Mm. And I imagine that's part of the appeal that they use to bring people in. Yeah, you know? 100%. It's, it's fucking hoods. It's hoods and flickering lanterns and yeah. um, magical spells and something you can really like immerse yourself into that is entirely... S- entirely separate from you know your your economic existence or mm. your social existence you know it's yeah yeah uh all right that's us for this week uh you can follow us at wdtatw underscore podcast follow me at bm bergamo and follow hugh at tanner smashing and we will see you next week hopefully yeah thanks bye bye i love my Fighting am the least about the fighting game When Mr. Hoover said to cut my dinner